Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. What's good? It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hello Latino. Today, I'm talking to La Jasmine Ruiz, a comedian, writer, performer, born and raised in the Bronx. Her content is focused on relatable life struggles, living in NYC, and being Puerto Rican. You can catch her live in NYC or watch her sketch comedy on social media where she enacts characters like La Pendeja, which... <laughs> We talk a little bit about in this episode and fan favorite dr g the gangster therapist y'all in this episode we talk about her cycle breaker journey owning who she is unapologetically and we touch a little bit on her upcoming pilot more achievement in this episode let's get into it well hey girl jasmine hey. i have to tell you i started following you because you were on a podcast of my good friend Babel. And mm -hmm. you don't know this, but I went to New York to visit him and we were at a salsa club and he's like, do you know Jasmine Ruiz? And I was like, that name sounds so familiar. You were literally on the other side of the bar. He's like, hold up. I'm gonna go say hi to her. <laughs> I was like, okay, I remember bye. that day. <laughs> That's so funny. So I saw you from afar. I started following you and I was, I'm just in love with your content in love with you as a person. I love your pendeja content because we've all been the pendeja and the, the one to, you know, advise our pendejas. So I love all your content, who you are and how you just live and breathe authenticity. So just wanted to give thank you flowers. You, thank you. I appreciate that so much. And that's so funny. That is so funny. You'd be like, she's right there. No, you were literally right there. And I was like, okay, don't invite me to say hi to her. It's cool. Yeah. That's why he should have brought you over and be like, oh, come with me. Let me introduce no, you. No, he's like, like, do you know her? I'm going to go say hi. BRB. <laughs> he's like, you don't? Okay, I well, it. I do. Give me a moment. Right. That's period. so funny. That is so funny. Um, but this platform, this platform is really special to me. And I love starting every conversation with the first question, how do you identify? And the reason I do it is to show our different, our Latinidad, right? Like Latinos are so multidimensional, multicultural, and even being here in the U.S., growing up in the U.S., being born here, there's a different layer of identity that comes with that. So it's really to show all of our sazon, the mosaic of our identities. And girl, I've had more than 100 episodes, no one's answered this question the same. Even if from if they're from the same area, same background, they don't answer this question the same. So I want to ask you, how do you identify and why? Um, I identify as Puerto Rican from the Bronx. Whenever anyone is like, what are you? I'm like, Puerto Rican from the Bronx. Got to say it all together. AKA Latina or Hispanic. Um, both. I'm okay with both terms. That's totally fine with me. I also accept New Yorican if it's being done in like a a proud way like oh god i love new york i don't like when it's being said in a derogatory way so in that case i'm like er, don't get it twisted i'm puerto rican and if you're gonna use that to divide us then i'm not about it but if you're gonna use it to be like oh you're from new york like shout out to new york and just give like a different picture then okay that's fine 
so yeah, that that is that is how I identify, you know, just Puerto Rican from New York, from the Bronx, and I'm okay with Latino. Wait, can you explain to me as someone who did not grow up on the East Coast or New York what the derogatory New Yorkian yeah. stereotype is? Yeah, you know what? It's it's, cra- it's recently it popped up on God, who what stop. You know when you when you just saw something and then you forget yes, the name? all the time. <laughs> There's this woman. She's so funny, and I've been following her for a minute. I'm just really bad with names, and I haven't yeah. met her in real life yet. But she was on a podcast, and she was talking about you know the term New Yorkian and how you know people have used that in a derogatory way to separate like what type of mm. Puerto Rican are you? Like, are you Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico or are you Puerto Rican from New York? Because we're both Puerto Rican, but yes, there is a difference between us. Like we grew up in completely different locations and obviously your environment has an impact on, you know, how you develop and your cultural customs and things like that. So when it's used in a derogatory way, it's used to tell Puerto Ricans of the diaspora that, you know, ended up in New York, that you're not Puerto Rican enough. You're not really Puerto Rican Mm -hmm. because you didn't grow up on the island and you don't know this, 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 that, or the other. So that's the that's how it's used in the derogatory way. Obviously, I don't support that. And you know, I know Puerto Ricans from the islands that are all about unity, and not all of them are like that. And yeah, so that's just a little background yeah. on it. I think it's whack. And at the yeah. end of the day, you know, you body, you body. That's it. And so you have an interesting story, and I want to go deeper into it because typically, like when I share that, like, oh, these are the questions I'm gonna go through. No one responds back to me with like, oh, this is some information on those questions and you did and I was reading through it and I was like girl if this girl doesn't put her story like in a book maybe in in a tv like I literally was just blown away by how one just aware you are of your story and where you come from but also like your it's almost like I don't even want to say authentic because I feel like it doesn't describe it like your matter of fact like this is this is real this is what happened so I want to talk to you about your your parents. And I like going there because I think so much of what our first generation narrative is, is based on, or so much of our stories are based on our parents, our our ancestors, if you want to see it that way, like it's just where we come from. And so I want to ask you, tell me about your your background with your parents and how you became this New Yorican kid or this Puerto Rican Jasmine Ruiz from the Bronx. Um. Yeah. So, you know, the reason I responded was I feel like I don't have a very stereotypical like background. So mm-hmm. I, I find my background to be a little bit uncommon. So mm-hmm. whenever, so, so when I saw your email, I was like, oh, let me send her some background information just so that she has it, especially in terms of like Latinidad, right? Because mm. I feel like one, I feel like Latinidad, like no, I, I don't feel like a lot, like many Latinos are like, that similar in the sense that you could put them all into one category. And I have spoken about this recently and I feel like a lot of times what's Puerto Rican and Dominican, like what's Caribbean culture gets passed off as like Latinidad. Like, no, that's, that's Puerto Rican and that's Dominican. And that is not, that does not encompass like every single Spanish speaking country and all the, all the different types of Latino that there are. So mm-hmm. I feel like the term Latinidad, it like it's often it's often perceived as like what I view mostly as like Puerto Rican and Dominican and Caribbean culture. Yeah. 
But yeah, I think Latinidad in and of itself, it's so vast, you know, to, to put it all together into one thing and one word. I feel like that's a little difficult to do. And, you know, I also just know like a lot of, you know, people on your, your show have been first generation and in, in, in a way I am, but in a way I'm not. And mm. so that's why I wanted to give some background. So, so yes, the story of my parents for our listeners out there. So my dad, he came here as, I believe, a teenager, and he's from Manatee, Puerto Rico. And he's been here, like, since then. And he had a bunch of siblings, and they all came over. My mom, her family is from Camuy. And my mom, she grew up in foster care. So we didn't really know anything about her background up until, like, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. No, about a year and a half ago, when... No, a year last year. This happened last year. Not me thinking twice about my time. Last Ooh, year, not I got the on 23 and me. You're the team. I was on 23 and me, and I wanted to see if like there were any relatives that I could find just to get some answers. You know, my mother never got any answers, and you know now she's like 63 years old, and I'm sure you can imagine like living your entire life with no answers. Pretty difficult. So I wanted to see if I could get some answers. Also, I wanted to know about my background. You know, I know I'm Puerto Rican, but like, like where, where did I come from on the island? Like, wh where, where are my ancestors from? Um, mm. So I sought out that information, found some people, started chit-chatting, and learned that my, my mom's family from Camuy and her mother, okay, my grandmother, came here, came to the States in, at some point and had my mom in Miami then somehow ended up in the Bronx. And my mom, when she was like put into foster care, didn't know any English. But now she doesn't know any Spanish because she was raised by Italians. And so mm. like that impacted my own upbringing because, you know, my dad was only around for like the first three years of my life. And, you know, life does what it does. So for the majority, I grew up with my mom, who is Puerto Rican, but was raised Italian. And we wow. always like ate a bunch of Puerto Rican food. My mom listens to salsa and stuff like that. But like she doesn't speak Spanish and there's certain things that she didn't know or just never exposed me to. And it wasn't until I was like eight years old that, you know, she started dating someone and that person started bringing in more of, you know, that Puerto Rican culture into the household. So like, you know, the mofongos, the mondongo, the, the making pateles and stuff like that. Having congas in the house, playing salsa all the time. <laughs> like that, like, you know, it's still like a formative age, eight years old, was when I started to soak all of that up. And, mm -hmm. you know, as time went on, you know, eventually I started dating and I was, you know, with someone who was Dominican. So I felt like half my world was DR. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, of course, I'm in the Bronx. Like I had so many friends that were Puerto Rican and Dominican. So I really like learned so much about my culture from a lot of different places of like, what is, what does it mean to be Puerto Rican? What does it mean to be for Puerto Rico? What are the... Uh, influences that we have today that where did they come from so yeah it, it really really took a lot of different it like takes a village it took a village to to teach me and for me to learn more considering my background where you know my dad wasn't really around and my mom's family um, was not able to care for her um, and now as an adult you know that kind of just continued and you know I just leaned into that and wanted to learn more about you know, all the foods and everything and started singing salsa songs by like the age nine. I was like, I, I learned my first full Spanish song. Girl, I was hyped. I was so hyped. So, what was yeah, the first song you, know, you learned? 
out of curiosity. Tim And then Hector Lavoe, El Cantante. And oh then my God, I the love next it. one after that was Kimbara El Cantante. And that should be the Salsa Selena. <laughs> yeah, you, girl, I did not even know what I was saying yet because I didn't know Spanish at the time. But I was singing those songs like, I love oh God, those I love songs. It. And then, of course, the Brujeria and, you know, that song. Oh, yes. So now, now I know a bunch of songs and I love them. I sing them all the time. It's great. But yeah, it really took a lot to like, I had to learn my Latinidad outside of my house. And yeah, I, you know, it just, it, it, it just, I think it speaks to how effortful and how intentional that I had to be in order to do it. And, you know, now I go to Puerto Rico, I always visit the art because my friends live there. So, you know, I'm, I just lean into that. I think every, every year I'd say it to myself, like I can about Puerto Rican every year, you know, I'm, I'm cooking new shit every year. I'm like learning new songs every year. I'm traveling a little bit more. So, yeah. Was there ever a moment where you were maybe not confident in your identity or you felt like, oh, am I like, is there like a little bit of imposter syndrome? Because you're growing up around the culture. So I'm assuming like you're moving in this world like like yourself. Like, yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up with Italians. Like you're just like confident on all the different fronts of your identity. But was there ever a moment where you questioned identity or you were like navigating it and didn't know how to, where you just kind of felt like there was a little bit of like, Am I doing this right? Like, you know, sometimes I feel like I even feel that. And I grew up in a very Honduran household, but there were moments where I'm like, damn, am I am I representing the culture? Like, am I really doing this? Am I like, you know, you feel like you're not enough in either circle. I hang out with my Honduran family from Honduras and they're like, Esta bien Americana. And then I hang out <laughs> with my American friends or like my like first gen friends and they're like, Yeah, you Honduran. You Honduran as fuck. Like it's just kind of like a weird in between have you felt that before yeah i have felt that i feel like being puerto rican from new york like you always find you like somebody yeah. is always trying <laughs> you because you're spanish like you are always fighting for your life against everybody against other puerto ricans against the dominicans that are like oh ¿por qué no español? and then you gotta be like <laughs> and tell them the whole story of why your spanish does not sound that good yes i'm always fighting for my life but <laughs> But I feel like what helps me through that is knowing or at least giving myself the credit that other people won't give me. I don't really care who's going to give me the credit or not. Period. Like, I kiss it. Um, I give it to myself. I know how hard I have worked to make sure that, like, I can speak Spanish. Yeah, maybe it's not a little perfect that it's, it's a little more. Maybe a couple verbs might be conjugated the wrong way, but you are always going to understand what I'm saying. And if I don't know the word, I know enough words to, to define the word for you of what I'm trying to say. So I have like, I've gotten around with my Spanish and PR and DR in Mexico. Like, I'm totally fine. If someone is just like, oh, it just doesn't sound that good coming out of your mouth. I'd be like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't even care because, you know, I, I did everything I could to learn it. And until I'm in like a fully Spanish speaking spot, then, you know, it's not going to be that perfect. Like, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So yeah, I feel like I've had had like a little identity crisis. Um, whenever I'm around someone that's like, "Why isn't your Spanish that good?" or "Why don't you go to Puerto Rico more often?" or you know, just like little little things like that. Uh, or 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 when there are like jokes, like whenever like a bunch of people are joking around in Spanish, I feel so like, "Damn, damn!" Because you're all nodding so your head, smiling. Uh huh. 
it's just so hard to get a joke in Spanish when it's not your first language. Like maybe what makes yeah. it funny is like a pronunciation thing or maybe you need like a background piece of context that I just don't have because I didn't grow up in a Spanish speaking household or have that experience of like a first gen mom or something like that. So yeah, I feel like that there have been moments where I'm like, damn, oh, am I am I like gringa right now? And other moments where I'm like, no, ain't no way, ain't no way, ain't no way. So yeah, girl, no, even no, no, even no, no, if no. Spanish is your first language, like me, there's some jokes where I'm like, mm, didn't land. Like I don't know, it didn't. La- <laughs> it doesn't. It just didn't hit. It didn't hit. It just didn't hit. But I also, but I know they crack because... it up. They're funny. <laughs> They're funny. I'm like, I want to laugh too. <laughs> And sometimes, like, I'll get a piece of it, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I got that piece. I could kind of, like, figure out what it was. But, yeah, you know, it also makes me feel better, like, with the white identity crisis thing, knowing that, like, I could cook some really good Puerto Rican food, and mm. knowing that I did salsa mad good, like, knowing that I have pieces of the culture that, you know, just knowing that I have that. Like, I'm not a complete idiot to my culture. So when people try to come at me about the language that's i would say that's like one of the only times that i feel like i'm not puerto rican enough oh i think it's sometimes the culture is passed down through different ways and i talk about that a lot like even being and i would say jasmine you hella first gen not maybe in like the actual term of like oh your parents immigrated you're here spanish-speaking household but like you are moving in these first gen spaces of me that gave me that yeah right And for me, I feel like sometimes we have to work extra hard to like own the culture. Like I remember having someone on here on the podcast and she talked about how she was both from the Bahamas and Cuban and she like would go to school and all the Cubans in Miami would be like, you're not Cuban. And that she would come with like a Cuban jersey and like hella Cuban like fit and just like be like, no, I'm hella Cuban. And like we would have to like almost prove our identity. But I love that you're like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, people can't come for me because I'm cooking, I'm dancing. But either way, I'm still Puerto Rican through and through because it's in yeah. your blood. Yeah. And I think it's like sometimes we get caught in those cycles of I know I have to prove I'm hella Honduran, I'm hella Puerto Rican, I'm hella Caribbean, I'm hella this. But like you are what you are. Like no one can deny yeah. that that's part of your identity. But it's even more bomb when you're like, no, I can cook you some Honduran baleadas right now. I can cook you some mofongo. I can cook you this. I can mm-hmm. cook you that. Or I could just dance. Or I could do this. Like, there's parts and pieces mm-hmm. of the culture that people can't take away from us that we get to own and we get to say, like, no, I want to keep this. And I'm going to pass it down to my Absolutely. generations. Absolutely. And I also think that, you know, everyone, whenever someone says that, I'm like, oh, well, how do you define Puerto Rican? What's your, what's your definition? Like, what, what, mm. what boxes does everyone have to check off? Is it like food? Okay, check. But are you tasting all their meals? Let's be real. Okay, dancing. Okay, you could dance. Okay, rhythm. Okay, you have rhythm. Oh, okay, you know the language. Oh, okay. Like, wh- what is the checklist? What is the checklist? Get it together. I'm not here for it. Bring it, bring it, bring that shit somewhere else. And the checklist is different. The checklist is different for the Puerto Ricans from the island, I'm sure, than like the Puerto Ricans it in New is. York. And then like the third and fourth generation, like, it's exhausting. I'm like, I can't fit all the boxes. So let me just choose mine when, that I want to keep. <laughs> yes. The last time I went to Puerto Rico, I was that that was literally like when I realized like for the first time, because I've been to Puerto Rico before, but this time it was the first time I felt like, damn, I think there is a difference <laughs> because I went to <laughs> I went to a Junker and my tour guide, Agosto. This this man was running around at Junker with no shoes, 
No I was, shoes. I was like, like he is in the fucking rainforest. Just don't care about the rocks. Don't care about the mud. Like he's not falling. He wasn't tripping. Nothing. And I'm like, he's just so used to that because like he grew up in this area and, mm. you know, he knows the land and just seeing how comfortable he was, like just running up this little hill thing or, you know, <laughs> guiding everyone just barefoot and, and then was like in the water waiting for everyone to jump off the cliff so that he could safely escort them. Like my man was fucking Superman. That was the Puerto Rican Superman. He was, he was there saving my, my little ass, like jumping off the cliff, helping me get back to safety because, you know, the water and was all with no and shoes. All with no shoes. I was like, this man, like, He's Superman. He's a Puerto Rican Superman. Now I get it. No, I, I am. I am Puerto Rican from New York. Like, there's a difference because I couldn't do any of this. Well, I think it's also being okay with that, though. It's like, yes, I'm not from, I think when I was younger, I remember going to Central America, like even Guatemala and in different places. And they would tell me like, oh, you, you know, you speak the language well, but you look American. And I'm like, now how am I going to look American? Like, I'm one of you. <laughs> But like, like, I don't understand. There, but there is, like you said, there is a difference. And when I was younger, I would get so mad that people would think I'm like la gringa or like I, they would call me that literally in Central America, like vos la gringa. But like then growing up, I'm like, you know what? I do, I do have a little bit of American in me. Like I can't disown that side of me either. Now what American looks like when I was younger, I used to think just meant white. But now growing up, I'm like, no, American is we don't really know what it is like it's a mix of a lot of different things and like it depends on where you grow up too and like here in California everywhere you go everyone would think I was Mexican and I would be like no I'm not Mexican but literally the first time I went to the first time I went to the east coast someone asked me if I was Puerto Rican and I was like no I'm not but thank you (laughs) I can see it you know I'm like finally something else No, in LA, I've heard this before. Like, they think everyone's Mexican. And over here, Everybody. like, everyone's either Puerto Rican or Dominican. Like, that's it. Like, they're not asking Everybody. Like, what are you? Yeah. Go to Texas. Go. I mean, different places. It's whatever you're surrounded by, right? Like, that's what you get mm-hmm. questioned on. But yeah, growing up in San Diego, out of all places, like, right next to Mexico, there is a really big Mexican community here. And it's very rich. It's very, it's it's the prominent culture. And so you grow up around it, you love it, but it's also like you have to educate people on what it means to be Honduran. And girl, the amount of times people are like, oh, is that like, do you speak Spanish or do you speak Honduran? I'm like, no, I speak Spanish. <laughs> They're like, is it Hungarian? Is it Honduran? I'm like, no, it's it's a little, little place in Central America. And it's always like you become mm-hmm. the educator because people are not used to anything outside of those prominent cultures. But it's also an right. opportunity. And that's, again, why I created this space. Like, let's talk about identity because... Yeah, I'm Honduran, but usually I'm the first Honduran people meet. And I'm like, okay, I don't represent all of Honduras at the same time. Like, I'm very Christian. You you know, keep putting your people on the map for them. You're like, let me, let me, let me tell you about my people. Period. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, we bomb. We bomb. We got a lot of stuff on too. We just not represented. But I think it's funny. It is. I went to Pennsylvania once and, well, a few times. Whatever. I I have a friend in Pennsylvania. I was about to say Pennsylvania, girl. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. A bunch of a, a very white area, and someone had asked me like, "What? What are you?" And I was like, "I'm Puerto Rican." He was like, "What's Puerto Rican?" And I was like, oh, "Not me being the first Puerto Rican you meet." I see you Let said me tell your you. Flip. 
<laughs> no, that happened. I so one of my friends, she invited me out to dinner with all of her friends, and I was like, "Yeah, let's go." And one of the guys was like, "Okay, so you Mexican or you Puerto Rican?" And I was like, "Neither." <laughs> he was nice. like, "Oh." And it was like a moment of education. Like, you know, we got we got a lot of countries in Latin America. Like there's a lot and there's a mm-hmm. lot here. And I was just kind of being that person to explain. But it became like a whole conversation of like, damn, he was over here trying to put you in a box. <laughs> yeah, like, that's funny. It's okay. That's funny. <laughs> but I want to. So talking about boxes, though, I want to talk to you about your experience being first gen. And I saw that you were a first gen college graduate. So I want to take you back to that time, because I think that's a lot of the experience that we all have that connects us all. And that was actually the first Mm -hmm. time I heard the term first generation, because, you know, you don't grow up in your household and you're like, you're first gen, you're immigrant, like you don't get that. And so I remember going to college, applying, and they were like, no, you qualify for being like first gen. You can be part of these programs and that program. And I'm like, oh, I don't, okay. Yeah. And that was the first time I understood like, oh, no, I'm the first to go to college. I'm the first to go to school. Like, there is a different experience with that. And so talk to me about you because you were the first to graduate high school. So tell me about breaking all these cycles in education and in corporate America. Yeah, you know, I would say like being first gen college graduate, like you have a lot of similar experience because I know like a lot of people that are first generation, like here in America, like their parents came here and stayed here. And we have so many similar experience outside of the fact that I was not translating documents at five years old. And then I have that experience. <laughs> but I love whenever I see videos like that, I'm always cracking up because I know people that have gone through that. But yes, you know, being first-gen college graduate, I feel like shares a lot of, you know, being first-gen anything, right? You're like the first person anything. to do that thing. So mm-hmm. yes, I was the first person to graduate high school. And, you know, first person to go to college. I graduated high school from Banana Kelly in the South Bronx. Shout out to Banana Kelly. Yes, that is the real name, Banana Kelly. No one ever believes it. I'm like, that's the name. Um, I was like, did you say Banana? I did say banana. I did. I did. From the South Bronx. Then I went to Barnard and I was the first person to go to college too. And I feel like being first gen in that in, in that sense, like being a cycle breaker, that is like literally the hardest, the hardest thing I have ever had to do. Because when you the thing about a cycle, like it's so hard to break. It is so hard to break, which is why it is a cycle. And I may have broken this cycle, but like my mom before me, she broke a cycle too. Well, she raised me. And I don't, I don't know what cycle my mother broke. I can't speak to those people. But, you know, I'm just keeping it real. Being Christian, I feel like one of the most difficult pieces of it is never having, like, a guide. If mm-hmm. anything, the only guide you have is, like, what not. You don't have a guide on what you're supposed to. So growing always. up, like, and so, like, growing up, like, I was always very vigilant and very, I would say, very aware from my age and this is like no shades of people around me she said hair flip here no shades of the people around me but I kind of just felt like so many people were making the wrong decisions and I was like these people are dumb you know because like I just didn't get it I just didn't get like how so many people were stuck in the same cycle and so I was like you know I, I need to like figure shit out of like what not to do right so if I was like like one of the things I figured out was don't be outside. Mm-hmm. Very simple. I saw people mm-hmm. outside hanging out that were grown ass men 
And then I saw people hanging out that were teenagers. And I saw people hanging out that were kids. And it was just very clear to me. Like, okay, the kids turn into the grown-ass men. Don't be outside. Because what if you get stuck hanging out outside? Like, these are just, like, little things that I had to put together growing up for myself. Second thing, stay in school. That was another thing. Nobody stayed in school. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm growing up, you know, in the projects, in the Bronx. What is the common denominator here? School. So for me, education was very much, like, the way out. And that's something that my mom always told me, like, stay in school, Jasmine, stay in school. And she stressed me that, you know, she didn't stay in school and I needed to. And so that was, like, very, very important to me. And, you know, don't have any kids. That was also very, very clear. Like, okay, every time somebody mm-hmm. has kids, their life turns upside down. Just don't have any kids. And these are just yeah. things, like, I had to make my own guide based on what I saw that was not working out for the community around me and take that to figure out, okay, I'm just going to do the opposite of everything I see that's not working. So I didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. I stayed my ass in the house until I was a teenager, like, you know, 15, 16. Then I started going out. I'll be at the beach and stuff. But I was never, like, you would never catch me dead hanging out on the block. Like, for what? That it, there, was, <laughs> there was nothing to do there that interested me. I was also on my nerdy shit. So I was very much, like, into <laughs> academia. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's, I'm serious. Like, I know a lot of people just hate school. I never hated yeah. school. I always loved school. I loved learning. I was really good at school. I got good grades. So there was no reason for me to hate it. But for people that, yeah. you know, couldn't sit down, like, I understand why they hated it and why they'd rather, like, be out on the streets. But that wasn't me. Thankfully, you know, I, I actually really loved it. Yeah, I was on my nerdy shit. I'd read books in my room and watch Animal Planet and cartoons and play video games. Whatever I had to do to just <laughs> not be on fire. And these are, these are the same three things that I tell my nephew, like, now I'm like, might be like you need to be the one to break the cycle like i did it and like i really want you to do it so you need to follow this follow these three things like don't have kids don't be outside and stay in school like <laughs> like literally like those are the three that you know all own guidebook girl it's on the way don't don't <laughs> it's on the way in my lifetime i will be dropping some gems um so yes like you have to make that guide for yourself because you don't have anyone to do it for you no one's going to be like, this is how you do the college application. You know, they got to have dining council at school. But like your family is not going to do that. And then when you're finally in school, you know, your family is not going to be able to support you through that because they've never been in that situation. If anything, Girl. they might diminish the situation. Why can't you come home? Because I'm on campus. I'm working. I don't want to be in the house. Like, what, what, what do you mean? Period. It's so funny because I joke about this all the time. Like our parents have all these things of not to do. And then like you get Mm -hmm. older, especially as a woman, and they're like, okay, well, where's the man? Where are the kids? When are you going to get married? And I'm like, (laughs) Like, like, make up your mind. Make up your mind. What do you want? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, especially for like our generation, it is so much more difficult to do any of that today. It's like, that is not on anyone's priority list. No one's out here like rushing to have kids. Like people are freezing their eggs before they have these kids. Like, let's not, (laughs) let's not get crazy. Like, relax, relax. A hundred percent. And I also think it's funny thinking of this first gen experience because it's so like you're breaking cycles, but you're also navigating these like these different territories that like no one understands and you really feel like isolated. And that's where you find community with Mm -hmm. other first gens. But it's what you're talking about going to school and you're like you're working, maybe even supporting yourself through school like. I was working three jobs in college, like trying to pay for school. Mm-hmm. Jasmine, 
I see you, girl. But I was out there working and they would be like, why aren't you here? Like, oh, and then it, there's this like this pride and like, I'm glad you're doing this and I'm glad you're going to school, breaking these cycles, but they don't get it where they're like, be with your family. Like, why aren't you here? Yeah. Like, I miss so many family parties. I miss so many like gatherings, get togethers. And there was this like weird feeling of like, damn, I wish I could just be home. But I know this is like you said, my way out. I know this is a way for me to just change the trajectory of my generations of our, our family, but it's like a weird in between where like you have cultural expectations, society expectations, your own expectations. Like where did you Jasmine, like, where did you, it's so weird to say my own name out loud, but where did you kind of figure, how did you find the balance between the culture expectations, your expectations, family, society? Like there's so many yeah. external pressures. How did you handle that? This is going to be a very unpopular answer. I really don't give a damn about what people think about me. So I had no problem telling my family, like, hop off. Leave me to have <laughs> And I feel like a lot of first gens, you know, they, they probably have more respect. And there's probably like just more respect there. And, you know... Maybe they care a little more. Maybe they, mm. you know, maybe they just have a more loving family that they actually want to, you know, be there more for them. So maybe it actually does feel like a tug and pull. For me, it didn't feel like a tug and pull, at least with like the family situation. Like I was totally okay being like, bye, see you guys in the summertime. Um, mm. Versus, you know, others that may be like, oh, come home on this weekend. I still need you to watch your brother, watch your sister, or can you mm. pay this bill? Or, you know, like, I feel like other people had so much more pressure in some of their families than I had from mine. So unpopular opinion, just tell your family, leave me alone. And, you know, just be okay <laughs> with that. I understand that is not feasible for everyone. And I also understand that probably makes me come off like a little cold and heartless. But, you know, every family dynamic is different. So before you judge me, check mm-hmm. yourself because you do not know what my favorite life thing. Not that it was terrible, but like, whatever. And so, yeah, so <laughs> that's one. One thing is like, something's got to give. Something's got to yeah. give. Figure out what it yeah. is that's got to give. And for the most part, it's probably going to be your family that has to give. In terms of like your family and their feelings towards you, you know, I have been praised and ridiculed all in the same sentence. It's always like, oh, God, I'm so proud of you. You know, you've achieved so much, but you forgot where you came from. Like, it literally makes me sick. I'm like, you guys are just some flip-flopping ass bitches. Like, I'm tired. Like, leave me the hell alone. Figure out, figure it out. But do, do that on your time. Like, don't bring that to my door stuff and bring in that criticism over here. Because I'm just not, I'm not about it. I'm not going to tolerate it. It's very frustrating, you know. And I would say, like, the biggest part of, of like, all of it is not realizing when I was going into college not realizing how much like a college education would cause like a rift between me and my family. And Mm. I think nobody ever talks about that. I'm going to be talking about it. I'm like, it's in my HBO show. But there's such a rift that education causes because you're taken from like this one world where all you have is what they have given. So Mm -hmm. whether that's the morals, whether that's lessons, your vocabulary, the way that you think, like what you think, how you think, that has all been given to you by your parents. Then you're taken out of that. And for me, I was like dropped into this Ivy League institution where I was like hella ratchet compared to everyone else. 
that was like when I tell you, like the culture shock was insane. I went through so many moments where like I embarrassed myself, and it was thanks to like my best friends and college roommates that were like, "Girl, like you cannot be acting like that over here." Like I didn't even know how to act. What was an example? Give me an example. An example, like I was in a class one time and the teacher was like, oh, who who has ever experienced a child with ADHD? Now I have. So I raised my hand. I'm like, oh, me. She's like, okay. And and what did they act like? I was like, honestly, like a little crackhead. (laughs) That would have been okay to say in my high school. And and everyone would probably laugh. And then the teacher would have- At the the banana high school. At banana Kelly. Yes. (laughs) But whoever the teacher was, like, they would have known how to interact with students like that. They would have known, oh, what do you mean by that? Then I'm like, oh, you know, they're really hyper. They're always like, you know, like, whatever. I I would have described what I actually meant because they knew how to interact with somebody like that. But at, you know, Barnard Columbia, they did not know how to interact with them. So it was just like a Mm. pen drop silence in the room. And the teacher was like okay, we're not going to call them the practice. Like, can anyone else answer this question? And I was just uh-huh. like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to say that. And then I went and, like, you know, spoke about it. And my friends were like, oh, you can't be saying that. Shit. And I was like, but why? It, was, it sounds like very, like, basic and fundamental common sense, but it really isn't when that is, like, totally okay where you come from. And so I had a lot of moments like that where I realize that like all the tools and skills that I had to survive my environment and the vocabulary, like all of that, it helped me survive, you know, wrong shit. It actually was a huge detriment in this new environment that no one I knew had been a part of. Mm. And so, you know, having your foot in like two completely opposite, like cultural worlds was so difficult to navigate. Especially when that, like, that Bronx world, it's not gone. It's just out of sight at the moment. But sometimes that shit would come right back in, you know? Maybe it would be a phone call from a family of them pulling me into some drama. And then, you know, I got to have a ratchet conversation in front of someone that (laughs) has no idea of what Bronx ratchetness is. So, you know, it's it was very uncomfortable. It was very difficult to navigate. Looking back, I wish that someone, like the institution, and, and I did go into to college through the HEOP office. So I did have a, you know, an office that I could go to and be like, what the hell is going on here? And I have done that. Yeah. You know, I had counselors there that did help me. But like, just having someone be like, guys, like, this is how you got to act here. Like, you can't do that. Would have yeah. been very helpful. But I had to learn through experience. Um, and that, yeah, it was, it was it was super difficult, very hard to navigate in terms of, like, how I navigated it. You know, you kind of just have to adapt. And I'm, like, really, really good at adapting. And then, you know, that only, like, became a little bit more difficult when I entered America. Now I have mm. to post switch. And that only lasted a year. And then I was like, screw this post switching. I'm just not about it. So <laughs> they are going to accept me as I am. And I changed the game. But, yes, having your feet in different mm-hmm. cultures that, will never intersect. Like Ivy League and South Bronx, that's never intersect. I'm that intersection. Mm. So I have to deal with that alone because nobody else from there was like from the South Bronx. Like, come on. So, yes, difficult. You have to adapt, you know, and if anyone's listening to this that is going through this or, you know, might be going through this because they're getting his college and stuff coming here, you'll figure it out. You will figure it out. 
And let's talk about corporate America because I'm so mm-hmm. interested to hear this. Like I lasted one year and I said, bye. What did that, <laughs> what was that experience like? Because I think school's different. Like you can find your spaces of like, okay, you get me. I see you. You have a space where you can just like, what's mm-hmm. going on. You have your friends to tell you like, girl, you can't say that. Like you have your, your safe spaces. I feel like corporate America is like not a safe space unless you really yes. cultivate that. Like how, tell me about it. Tell me all about it. Yeah, you know, I I get you. Corporate for the for the corporate corporate. They are the corporate corporate <laughs> corporate America. Definitely, at first, you know, when we first enter it, it may not feel like a safe space, depending on what industry you enter. Right. So when I first started working, I started working at Macy's, and I went into their executive development program. So everyone mm. was really young, like so. For that like first couple months that I was like there in that program, it was like easy breezy, lemon peasy, okay? Very chill, very cool. I had friends and everything's fine. When I finally got placed, I was placed in confections and my team was like older and my team was older and it was like very business professional. Like mm. after a year, Macy's switched that and they said, people wear jeans to work and we're not going to like, they leaned away from the business professional aspect mm. of it. I mean, I think that they just wanted to appeal to probably younger people that were working for them and wanted younger people to be attracted to a place where they could actually show up as themselves. And, you know, it's, they want to be fashion forward. Like they're like, we're a fashion company. You know, you should be able to be fashionable at work. You shouldn't have to wear the stuff in clothes. So I really love that. But for like one year, you know, I did the whole clothes switching thing and yes. Okay. Yes, that sounds good. You know, whatever. Did the whole code switching awesome. thing. I'll get that right to you. Whatever the hell you want to call it. After after about a year, you know, it was just time. It was just really tiring to mm-hmm. whether it's like my inflections or the ver the verbiage, the words I use. I was just tired. I was just tired. Um, so I just showed up more more as my authentic self. And you know, maybe it meant being like, now, you know, dropping a little bit one of those every now here and there or whatever it was. I didn't receive much pushback from doing that. And I think I had a workplace that allowed you to do that without receiving pushback uh, professionally. And socially, I mean, I don't give it to social pressure really easily. So even if I did have some social pushback, I don't think I would have cared. Because that would be me, regardless. But I'm grateful that I was not in a space that professionally pushed back at that. Like, I cannot imagine working for an investment bank and they're like, hey, you said dollar and not dollar. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm so sorry I dropped that R accidentally. You know? Yeah. I can't even imagine, like, working in that space where everyone has to be a clone and a robot. I was very grateful that I wasn't in that space. So I, w- I felt like I was able to be my authentic self without any pushback or ridicule or any of that for it. Not to say that there weren't moments at work where I got side-eyed. And I say the dollar yeah. story because I did get side-eyed one time because I said dollar. And But at that point, I was already working there for many years. And the person that side-eyed me, like, I, I didn't really know. Yeah, um, you're like irrelevant. So I, yeah, I was like, oh, is this, you'll be at it. The work is getting done. You know, the work is getting done. Yeah. Your, your Excel spreadsheet is fine. I ran your numbers. Whatever it was, I was impressed. Right. But that's just how I am. Like, I'm okay being disruptive. I'm yeah. okay being someone that makes other people uncomfortable. Not everyone mm. is okay in that space. And I'm going to say, like, if you want to be your authentic self at work, 
and you don't want to really succumb to that corporate culture, you need to be okay with making people unhappy. And I was totally okay Girl. with that. And I am okay with that. And I will continue to be okay with that. And every team that I have been a part of, like I have single-handedly changed the culture on that team. Whether it was mm-hmm. bringing in more joy, bringing in more jokes, like loosening this bitch up, you know, whatever it was, like <laughs> I've always changed the culture on every team I that. that I have gone to. Because I just, I can't do it. I literally cannot be in, in a stuffy, a stuffy cloned environment. It's just, no, absolutely not. I'm going to be the rebellious one and I will happily pave the way for other people to do so. You know, I love that you're talking about this. And I love that you gave that example of just dropping like a, you know, like, you know, it's just like a mm-hmm. little, it's almost like you start to flex your authenticity and then you start to realize like, oh, I can really just be me. Like the only person telling me I can't do this is me because they're not used to this. So you feel like you have to change for them. And that's so much yes. of what our experience is. We get that rule book from our family, what not to do. We get a rule book from school, what not to do. And then we go into the world and then we're like, okay, is there another rule book on what not to do? And then you kind of like start to try to fit in this little box. And I did it too. I used to cut, girl, I love my nails. I used to cut my nails super short so that no one talked about my nails. (laughs) Because I overheard a conversation like, this is when I was an intern. I overheard a conversation of like these two girls talking about this girl at the grocery store. She couldn't type on the little machine. And I was like, looking at my long ass nails like, ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, I'm like, can I just show up with my nails? And I did. And I was like, okay, no one's saying nothing. Like you think that there's a rule book for you on like how to not do things, but then you realize you could just be you and it's cool. And then you make other people around you feel like they can be themselves too. And then you focus on your actual work. (laughs) Right. That, that is contagious. And I love that you say that, like we put it on ourselves. Like no one ever like told me, Jasmine, like you cannot come in here if anywhere faster. You know, no, no one said that. Who told mm-hmm. me that? I just noticed corporate America, how up and stuffy it was. So I post this for the time being so that, you know, everything was good and dandy and I felt like I was fitting in. But no one ever actually yeah. told me that I had to do that. And I think that that's just part of human nature and, you know, seeing your social environment and picking up on your social roles and adapting to them. And the same way, like, I had trouble when I first went into, um, college I wanted to make sure that I didn't have that same trouble in corporate America and by that time I also like I was part of a a professional development program so you know I I I had all the tools that I needed to make sure that I was able to be in corporate America and thrive in that environment and I did it just was it was just personally bothering and I was Mm. like no I'm just gonna be my authentic self and just see what happens and it was totally fine it was totally fine you know I was just like, oh, okay, like we can do this. And yeah, for, yeah. The, for the moments that someone did feel uncomfortable, you know, I let that pass because I'm not going to internalize that. That, that mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to do with me. So if you're mm-hmm. uncomfortable because I said something a certain type of way, or maybe you're uncomfortable. I've had a lot of people, like not a lot, a good handful of people in corporate America be offended that I'm so casual, that I did really? not approach them with like a specific decorum because they were, you know, whatever, VP, SVP, whatever. I don't know. Mm, and in corporate America, hierarchy is very important. Mm. And I, Jasmine, I don't really play into that. You know, I'm like, are we on the team or not? Do we want the same results or not? 
So mm-hmm. as long as we are getting the results and the work is getting done, I don't see why I can't just come up to you like, hey, good morning, how's your day? Why do, why can't, why do I have to do that? Yeah. Like, why can't I do that versus having a good morning? I'm sorry. Because, <laughs> hey, good morning, how's your day? Is that like joy? Is that enthusiasm not professional? Hmm. Like, let's talk about it. And so, yeah, but I've had problems. Like, I would say that that has been my number one problem in corporate America was people feeling like I was too casual. And I'm like, listen, at this point, like, you're just sucking yourself off on your own hierarchy. And I'm going to need you to take it to your boss. Like, we'll suck your boss <laughs> off and then maybe you'll feel better. But I'm not going to suck you off for it. Like, that's not yeah. happening. We're not, we're not doing that here. So, Period. Yeah, that, Period. you know. But again, no one ever told me that. That that got cascaded down to me because of I. Yeah. And I said, yeah. well, you know what? If that person really feels some type of way, they could come talk to me about it. And it did not and happen. Don't, don't talk girl, to my boss and the boss and the boss. Come talk to me directly. Girl, that is another thing I can't stand about corporate, but we won't talk about all the things that we need to fix in corporate. But one thing that mm-hmm. I would always remember is my dad always said whether it's the janitor or the ceo you treat everybody the same like you treat every Mm -hmm. single person the same and so any workplace i approached i would do that like i would become homies with the cooks and the cleaners and i would just like Mm -hmm. hang out with them because that's where i felt comfortable now i realize sometimes that you have to like it's it's funny because i feel like i would think that they need to get comfortable around me and that i need to educate them on how to show up for like communities that they're not used to but then I realized I'm like you know what these people are grown like I could just be myself and they will get used to seeing someone that doesn't come from their background doesn't come from their same community and one point we're going to dominate this space and they're going to be like okay we're cool with this you know what I mean but I think sometimes you grow up with this feeling that you have to change to fit into those spaces but you could just be yourself and change those spaces and absolutely but it's it's difficult Mm. being that cycle breaker being the first one in that space kind of like "Mm, let me just navigate these waters just a little bit and let me i love that (laughs) i love that love that love that love that it's okay to change the space and but in order to do that like you have to feel like you can you have to feel capable and you have to be willing to to honestly really do the work and put yourself out there and risk like being embarrassed sometimes or risk potential pushback again i was pretty mm-hmm. lucky um i have like my own beef with corporate america but like working at macy's i would say like i always had a good boss i was very lucky like i never had a bad boss i think the universe blessed me with that because <laughs> if i had a bad boss i'm telling you it just would not go over well it would it would not go over well i'm so happy i've never had a bad boss and as my time like continued there I would say like it only got better in terms of bringing your authentic self to work. And I feel like the company did make, you know, leaps and bounds in making people feel like they could bring their authentic self to work. So mm-hmm. I, I am I am grateful for my workplace. And I would I would say Macy's is really good for that. And I really actually love not a whole Macy's I, promo. I <laughs> not a whole Macy's promo. No, you know what it is though? I know I wouldn't want someone to like listen to this and be like, who's she talking about? Like, who's she, she's not talking about me. A lot of these stories are from like my first year, my first two years at Macy's with like the mm-hmm. colloquialness, like being too casual or the dollar came from, I think like year three. Dollar and more casual stuff. The issues around like year yeah. three. Uh, but like onward after that, you know, it's 
I, I like I really did have good teams and I was able to bring my offensive self to work and I am happy with that. I love that. I know we are girl, I didn't realize that we've been talking for this long because we've been vibing. But I also want to ask you, going to our little cafecito and cheese I want to talk to you yeah. about what you're doing now. And I got my cafecito with me, so we drink in. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk to you about this HBO trailer. Can you give us a sneak peek? Like, what's what what you working on? What you working on? Okay, so I've been talking about this for like years now. I started writing it in 2020. Um, I wrote this pilot, and it's a dramedy, and oh. I wrote it for HBO. Like, I'm gonna get this show on HBO. It's amazing. Period. I'm manifesting it. It's already happening. It's happening right now in the future. I just need time to catch up. Mm. So yes, I've been working on that for a very long time. And this past year, my my producer, William, literally cold emailed me. I was like, hey, like, I want to help you make this happen. Like, let's chat. So I was like, oh, okay, like let's chat. And so fast forward, we filmed a trailer. I'm so excited about it. I'm so 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 excited about it. It's been an editing for a while now because I have my friend that's editing it. And of course, you know, the, the, anyone that knows like producers editing, the, the whole thing, it takes a really long time and you're balancing yeah. those two projects. So it's being edited for some time now. But I'm planning for it to be done by the end of this month. And I'm very, very excited about it. I can't really give too much tea about it, but it is very much inspired by like my journey as a cycle breaker. So a lot of what we talked about is going to be touching on those things. And it's the first of its highest phenomenal. And I'm very excited to, to, to pitch it. So once the trailer is made, then I'm going to figure out, like, how do I get in the room with HBO? But one thing at a time, we will get there when we get there. I heard, I heard that meeting with year. HBO was, was amazing. Oh, it was great. They, they bought it on the spot. Greenlit it right there at the table. Right then and there. Yeah. Period. Right then and there. Period. <laughs> I, what was the inspiration? Like, I need to ask you because I think there's always this like burning, like I need to put this out there. I need to put this work. Like, I just need to put it out there. Like what was, two questions. What was the inspiration behind even creating this? And then two, why HBO? Issa Rae was my inspiration. I watched her That's, you know, I was thinking that in my head too. I'm like, she's probably like insecure because that's one of the best shows on HBO. And I would love, I would always say, I would watch that show and say, I want a Latina like in this show. I just want like some Latin representation in a different way, obviously. But like, I would love this show, but like for the culture, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite shows. I 100%. 100% agree. Issa Rae inspired me because I watched her masterclass and she said, if there's something that you want to see on TV and you're frustrated that you aren't seeing it, and you would be upset if you finally saw it and someone else did it and it wasn't you, then you need to go make that show. So I was like, oh, I'm frustrated that no one has told my cycle, like the cycle breaker story. I'm going to just go make it myself. And that's what I did. So shout out to Issa Rae for inspiring me. And that sentence will forever live in my head. Like if you want to see something, you have to make what you want to see. Especially if you would like, finally see it and be like damn why did i could have did that okay but you didn't so tough city so yeah no, wait, i wasn't gonna be in a wait. tough city situation Issa ray masterclass i just started watching that masterclass that was that's like my 2024 
goal okay. is to finish this yeah. like masterclass of Easter. So it's so funny you say that because I'm gonna watch it now and be like, that's the moment. That's the moment. Jasmine was like, yes, yeah. let me create it. You're gonna when you when you get to that moment, you're gonna be like, mm. and so for her, she was like, where she said she saw this article that was like, where's the black Ms. Levin? Like that awkward black girl character. And she was like, I'm the black Ms. I'm the awkward black girl. <laughs> and so she was like, I gotta make this shit. But yeah, like she she talks about like having come across that article and thinking, me? That's me. So I was like, oh, oh I love okay. that. Like I, I need I need I need to make my show immediately. And so I got to work immediately. Wait, are you outside of corporate? Are you your own entrepreneur, your own boss? You like know, when I was am, that switch? I am. So I left that. I left my nine to five last June. You know, I was doing really well in the company and I was at a point where I either had to lean in even more. Like they wanted to send me on this overseas trip to South Korea. Um, and I just like, I, I love the idea of traveling and going to South Korea. But doing that in a field that I was not very passionate about just mm-hmm. felt dreadful. And I was like, and I didn't want to do that and then leave the company right after that. Like it just felt like the wrong thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was kind of like, either move up and, you know, continue to develop and really lean into this or kind of like get the hell out. Because mm-hmm. what am I going to tell my boss? Actually, I would like you to not put me on to new opportunities. <laughs> like, no, like, come girls. <laughs> Take a seat. Don't you dare. Like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't represent my people like that. And that's another thing. I feel like as a Latino, like, you feel like you're always representing someone. Oh, always. But, always. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, God, can I just, well, what if I want to be a hot mess? I think so. Was it John Leguizamo that said? I think John Leguizamo was on the set. Said that on the Daily Show, like, or maybe it was someone else. It was someone that was like, "We we need the right to fail and fuck up and do all of Girl, that too." Why does it feel like it's so unattainable for us? Though it's like, no, we gotta, right? gotta keep it together, like, keep it cute. I can't even see. fuck up in peace. <laughs> Not even. So yeah, <laughs> I wasn't gonna tell my boss, "Hey, don't you dare try to get me new opportunities in this company." Like that, that just sounded insane to me. So. I let my boss know, like, I'm going to be leaving. So I left that. And I did have a part-time job afterwards. And I got laid off from that. So since, like, August until now, I just been freelancing, doing my own thing, and for two gigs, acting gigs here and there. But I am on the job hunt now. I'm, it's been a long time. And, yeah. you know, a bitch needs her fat salary back. <laughs> That's the one thing about uh, America. Like, you know? Girl, what do they say? The golden handcuffs? That The golden girl. handcuffs. It's real. But you're also consulting, right? Yes, I am consulting on Moti app, M-O-T-I. So if anyone's listening and you're like, damn, I want to talk to that girl, call at me on Moti. I am doing consulting. I've had my first consulting call already. I was very oh. excited. I about social media. Someone wanted to know about like how to just navigate through social media and, you know, idea generation and talking about their audience and things like that. So that was really cool. So I am consulting there. Of course, I'm still doing acting and influencing gigs. But I'm really now like trying to get into, if I'm going to do consulting, like trying to just work with bigger companies. So maybe, you know, they're like, oh, I need a content creator. Okay, well, like, let me be your content creator. So that's what I'm going after now, like content creator roles that is actually like aligned with what I really want to do. Because I'm not anti-9 to 5. I'm just anti-9 to 5 that's in a field of, I don't I don't want to do that field. So. Yeah. I'm looking for like something in the creative, in the creative world. Yeah. 
You're anti anything that doesn't feel right to you, which is how it I'm should be. Anything that will feel funny. Yes, girl. Yes, girl. Well, I feel like I'm taking up so much of your time. So I want to wrap this conversation up with a brindis, with my cafecito, because, you know, we're redefining what brindis means. Um, and also your drink, because I know you you have a, what is it? The glow drink? No. I mean, I just finished it, but shout out to oh. Glow. Glow partner. <laughs> hashtag Glow partner. Um, hashtag ad. Hashtag, hashtag ad. But I also just want to tell you, like, this conversation has been a breath of fresh air because I think we need more, uh, we need more Jasmine Ruizes in the world who are just so unapologetically themselves, but unapologetically about who they are and what they, what they bring into any space and not afraid to take up space and bring others with them. And I think there's so much power in knowing exactly who you are and navigating the world in that way. Like I just listened to a podcast this morning and he said something like, if you don't share who you are, if you don't share exactly like what your story is, people will expect you to be who they want you to be. And I think if Latinos don't share our stories, if we don't share who we are, we're always going to be put in these boxes and we're always going to give these get these like checklists that we never fully check off and we're always going to feel like we're not doing enough. So I feel like we need to keep telling our story because we can't let them define it for us. Period. Yes, that is, that is so, I love that. I love that. You tell them who you are. They will assign you what they want you to be. Because mm. mm. they will. Because they will. That's valid. So I want to give, uh, yes, girl. I want to do a little bit these and I want to give you the space. What do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest for our Latino community, our first gen community, our community of cycle breakers? What do you want to manifest for us? What do I want to cheers to? So recently I've been doing a no pendeja series, like don't be a pendeja series. Um, so I want to cheers to people who in any way, shape or form are finally taking like the step that they have been wanting to take, but maybe they can too scared to take, but maybe they didn't know how to take it. It could be like, you know, you're changing your career. It could be like you're leaving someone. It could be like you're moving to a new city or a new state or wherever. Um, just, just finally taking action on something that has been harping on your heart and soul for some time. So I want to cheers to that, to taking action. And what I want to manifest for me is, I think I want to manifest just more opportunity and more opportunity to to shine and to take up space and more confidence. A lot of mm. people don't feel comfortable doing that because they don't have confidence to do so. And in order to have confidence, we need to be comfortable trying things and failing at things. And I have tried and failed at so many different things. Failed. I would never call it a failure. I have tried and pivot from so many different creative endeavors mm. over the past like seven years that I just feel so confident in like everything I'm doing right now. And I understand that's like a privileged place to be, but in order to get there, like you have to be courageous. So I want to manifest with more opportunity and more courage and more confidence. <laughs> okay. Word drop. You a writer or something? I am. I am. Throw that on. Throw that on my title too. I am. I am. This Pendeja series though is hilarious. Hilarious. I feel. I feel seen, attacked, like in peace and in community mm -hmm. when I see your post. So I keep doing it. Please. And you know that that the lad, the one that recently went viral, like so break up. 
I had that yeah. conversation. I literally that one had was that the conversation one. with someone, a pendejo. I had a conversation <sighs> with a pendejo that was like calling me, crying about whatever. I was like, break up, break up. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I'm done. I'm tired of hearing it. I've been hearing this shit for 20 years. Like, I don't want to hear it no more. You said it's an option. You're going to be with that man. It's an option. <laughs> it is literally an option. Like, stop it. You stop it no. right now. Because I sent it to my girl and I was like, I'm sorry if this is who I am with you, but I love you. It's yeah. She crying. I she's like, you. I know who to not go to sympathy for. It. No, no, no sympathy over here. I die. No, I love it. I love that you're just representing the realness because we go through it. We go through it. We are yes, both yes, we on, we're on both yes. sides. We're on both sides sometimes. So shout out and to you. And I have you. a lot of people that say, oh, how many pendejas do we have in your circle? And I'm like, first off, who said who said it's like my friends? Second yeah. off, what if, what if it's me? What if it's me? What if I'm talking to, to myself from the past? You know what I mean? Like, stop it. Random. So Janae Eichel talks about this. Janae Eichel, that song triggered, one of my favorites. She said that she wrote that song for herself. Like, she was talking to herself. And I was like, mm-hmm. Sometimes you always think of somebody else. Sometimes we're the person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Adele, Adele has made songs for herself too. And I'm like, Girl. sometimes sometimes I need to make a video for myself. Sometimes I need mm-hmm. to roast myself. Sometimes I need yeah. to like take pain and turn it into happiness. You know, like let me live. Let me live. Well, thank you so much for this space, girl. I appreciate thank you. you. You know, it's funny. I had I had told Jasmine I was ready for all the belly laughs for her episode. What I wasn't ready for was all the gems. Like she made me like snap and laugh and just feel inspired. Like she did all the things. So go connect with her for more content, more realness. Go on Instagram ASAP, Jasmine Police. Follow her, connect with her, love on her work. And I'm going to see y'all next week for more Got to See Them Chisme for all Hello Latino updates. Follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram and find me on LinkedIn. That's where I have a lot of content as well. And you can check out my website, O'Reilly's Jasmine, for more information. All of this is in the show notes, so go check it out, y'all. Con mucho, mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña.